great day to worship the Lord together. Amen. It's a blessing to be able to speak about God's truth and his revelation in my life and hopefully relate that to God's revelation in your life or maybe the lack thereof that you need some revelation today. Um, I have a friend, uh, many of you know I'm, I'm a painter, so I paint houses and um, I have a I have a friend who has a painting business that's way bigger than mine, and he's usually working like 90, 95 hours. And I, when I say that, I'm not kidding. I mean 90, 95 hours, like seven days a week, painting houses. And he's single, so he's in a different situation. His house is a mess all the time. He's probably going to listen to this message. No, hopefully not. But no, no, we've talked about, because um, I've done some work with him, and we've talked about balance in life and how do you how do you build a life that leaves space for real relationships and a real devotion to God because i think for all of us the busyness of life can take us away from walking in the spirit and lead us to walk in the flesh and i mean that that that, that could be for me, it could be for Jed Hall, it could be for Pastor Gary, it doesn't matter. You can be in ministry full time and find yourself, and I'm not accusing Pastor of this, I'm just saying, from personal experience, you can be in ministry and all of a sudden be going, what, what's going on? I'm so busy, I can't even focus on what I really need to be focused on. And I'm speaking about myself. Many times, okay, like when pastor will ask me to speak, I actually come to God's word and I'm, I'm brought to this, this reality that, man, I don't meditate on his truth enough and my life is kind of a mess. Does anybody else feel that way when you look at God's word? With this uh, friend who has a business, he's, he's desirous of um, getting married. He's in his kind of late 20s and... We were painting one day, and I just said to him, you know, I know from personal experience, I'm not trying to preach at you, but if you don't make a change now, you might never get married. You might never have kids. Because one year turns into five years, turns into 20 years, and soon you're just a broken down old man who's been painting houses. And you may have a lot of money, but what are you going to do with it? What's the point? Right? And I, I've shared, you know, as I've shared that story with you, I came to a point in my life where I was 26, 26 and a half in ministry, working my butt off, just serving God, thinking maybe God wants me to be single. And I was fighting the real truth that God had inside of me. He wanted me to be married. He wanted me to love someone and be de devoted. And, and I'll get, get to more of this later, but he wanted me to realize how selfish I am and how much I needed to be sacrificial for another person in marriage. And then he wanted me to to experience the joy of, of bearing a child, not me, my wife, um, but having a child and actually looking and saying, oh my goodness, this is like not double time, it's triple time important to be focused on my family and to um, really be devoted to what God wants me to, to think about and dream about and the way he wants me to live. You know, I, I used to go to AA, and they would say this all the time, and I'm not a huge fan of AA. I stopped going, but I got in trouble with the law, and I was forced to go to AA. And there's some good things in AA. I'm not trying to tear it down, but um, they used to say you have to take a searching and fearless moral inventory of yourself. And I think that's a principle that really actually comes out of the Bible, that we should actually look at our lives and say, God, Remind me of how wicked I am. And I know I'm going to feel like trash when you remind me of that. But what it's going to make me do is it's going to make me just say, God, take it away. I need you to fill me up because I'm not holy in and of myself. Maybe some of you believe you are and you're wrong, but you're not holy in and of yourself. You need God's holiness to fill you up. Now I want to start by looking at Genesis 11, 1 through 6, and focus on 
all the situations throughout Scripture, not all of them, but some of the situations in Scripture where people lose sight of why they've been put on the earth by God. It's a gift that we are even here. Amen? It's a gift that you're breathing. Genesis 11, 1 through 6. Now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. God goes forward and he, um, do you have the last verse or not? Okay. In verse 6, God says, I will confuse their language and I will scatter them over the earth. I want you to focus on two words starting out that were very powerful to me in my studies. And it's, it's, it's this phrase, let us. Let us. I could tell you probably a hundred stories that started out. Maybe I didn't use the exact words, let us, but they started out with, let us do this, and they ended really badly. I remember, I was telling my wife this, when I was in high school, I had a friend who was always mischievous. I was really a good Christian kid, but he always convinced me and my other friends that we, w- we should do stupid stuff. And this was before I started getting into the parties and all that. And so we wanted an adrenaline rush. And there was this tree out in the middle of a field, a farmer's field, that just stuck up. And, and uh, we had a name for it, which I won't share today because it's not appropriate. Um, he had a name for it, and he said, I'm sick of that stupid tree. And I never understood it. He just, he was looking for a rush, and he's like, we got to cut that tree down. You know, like young guys, you know, trying to use their adrenaline to, and their testosterone to go accomplish some task that is nefarious in nature. Like, why are we doing this? And we would, we, we, we parked on the side of the road. I think I just had my license. And, and so I drove, and they're on the back of my truck on some gravel road out in Allendale, right? And it's, it's, this tree was right, if you know where Countryside Greenhouse is now, just down the way, this tree was right out in the middle of the field, and we were going to cut it down. So we got this old rusty saw out of his garage, and four of us run, what does it take four of us for? But we run across the street full speed, and oh my goodness, we felt like Delta Force. It was so exhilarating. And we got over there, and he, he gets the saw, and he's like, give me that thing, and he starts cutting, and the saw breaks. <laughs> what a good plan. Like, maybe they would have had a backup, but. That's teenagers, right? So I'm like, what are we going to do? Our mission totally failed. And then all of a sudden, the house, the, the owner who lived across the field, the light turns on. And we're like, I'm like, the light's on. He could see us. It's like one of those typical moments. Some of you can, you're, you're getting um, glimpses of the past here. You know, we're like, what? he's going to call the cops. And so we ditch the saw and we run across the field back to my truck and get in and I take off, you know, my lifted truck with my dual exhaust, yeah, out in Allendale, a big tough guy and we take off and yeah, stupid story, but it started with this, let us, let us do this. And when you look at the Tower of Babel, historically, a lot of scholars believe that a man named Nimrod was actually one of the ringleaders that said, let us do this. And he believed that he was equal to a God, and many people followed him. And I don't know about you, but I see this world, and I see people looking for a Savior and finding it in the wrong people, leaders, things all the time. We're always looking to find someone to lead us who is God-like, or we're looking to make ourselves a God. And I think that's just one of the greatest temptations we face the message that I want you to get from this as we move on, we're going to move on to the next passage, but this is very me-centric. We're going to be great. We're going to build security. We're going to be able to dwell here. And you know what? We're not going to really need God or any other supernatural forces. Because Nimnod, Nim, Nimnod, Nimrod, sorry, that's a new name for you. You're just a Nim, Nimnod. 
So, uh, anyways, they wanted to build this security. They wanted to build this strength, this fortress. They wanted to build it up to the heavens to say we're, we're as great as God or we're greater than God. We're self-sufficient. Do you see any self-sufficient people in our day and age? You find people that are just, they don't need any power from anyone else, let alone God. We live in a culture of self-sufficiency and a culture of being me-centric. It's crazy how um, tying this together, there are scholars that believe Abraham was actually in that area because it's Mesopotamia and that's where Abram came from. And that, and this isn't specifically in the Bible, but they believe that Abraham actually had an argument because Nimrod tried to get him to join in with his people to build this tower. And they believe that Abraham said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And it's crazy how, as, as later on we get to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, how you see God's chosen people. Now, this is for you and for me. God's chosen people actually say, no, I don't need that security. I'm going to actually follow the path that God called me on, and I'm going to go forward. I don't need your tower. I don't need your city, and I don't need all these people. I need to follow what God told me. Right? I want to just stop a minute. Is there anybody in the room, this is for you to think, that there's a point in your life where God said, do this, make a change, go this path, make a new direction, but you didn't listen. And you're wasting it right now. You've wasted years of your life. Because you know God spoke to you. And you have regret in your heart. And you could get rid of that regret right now just by saying, God, I, I remember you spoke to me. And I'm going to acknowledge that. And I'm going to make a change right now. It could be something so simple. You can take the path of Abraham or you can take the path of Nimrod. You can choose to build yourself just security for the sake of being self-sufficient and not needing God. Well, I tell you what, like the video has said, you can't build your life on your finances. You can't build your life on your business, you can't, you must build your life on your relationship with God and how that flows into all relationships. That's what life is about. Amen? Genesis 1, 26 through 28 is, a, is God's idea of how it's supposed to go, not the people building the tower. And the, the passage says, then God said, let us, here we go again, let us, you see, we had a selfish let us and we have a selfless let us. Let us make mankind in our own image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, in the birds, in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is really the basis of my entire message. If you, if you leave and you don't remember this, then you failed horribly. But please, listen to this. Don't beat yourself up, but be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Going back to the tower... I, I want you to watch, I want you to look at history, recent history, back to World War II, World War I, back to the Civil War, to the, to the Revolution, back before America was even founded, a long time ago, back, you just keep going back, and you look all through Scripture, and you find all the times that God has a problem with a people group. It is because they stop being fruitful. They stop multiplying, and they stop filling the earth, and they set up camp, and they say, this is ours, and we're going to be powerful, and our names are going to be great, and the focus transfers from being fruitful, and what do I mean by that? Do I mean having kids? Because that's what he's saying to Adam and Eve. What, are they supposed to evangelize the animals? That's not what he means. He means have children. And so I'm pretty extreme. Some of you are going to be like, well, we have the freedom to do it. I'm going to urge you, have children. 
I don't think, I don't know if there's anybody in here who's young enough, you're married, or maybe you're dating, and you're thinking you're going to get married, and, and you're thinking, well, we're not going to have children. We're gonna have, some people can't have children, I get that, and that's tough. But if you can have children, have children, and if you can't have children, adopt children, as many as you possibly can. If you want to serve God, you need to be fruitful. And that's not just a mandate. I promise you, it is not just a cold order from God. Well, have children, and it's going to be hell, but have them anyway. No, God, I mean, sometimes it is, right? And I don't even know yet. I always have these people like, oh, she's in such a cute stage. Wait till she's 13. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> I'll learn it when I get there, okay? You don't need to tell me about it. What am I supposed to do, dread every second? Like, she's almost 13. <laughs> she have her period yet? <laughs> oh. Yeah. But I can assure you that one of, I, I look at my life and I think, I got saved. That was monumental. I got married. That was monumental. And I have a child, and that is monumental. And there's another child on the way. And I honestly can tell you that there is, there is nothing in my life apart from experiencing God in a personal way that is greater than thinking about my wife and my child and, 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 like, I'll be painting a house or I'll be doing something outside and I am like, I just, it's hot. I just can, God, can you just, can you send the Holy Spirit to spray the rest of this house? Because <laughs> I want to go sit. Lexi will send me pictures of sailing in the kiddie pool and I'm like, you said I'm supposed to raise them up good. I should just go home and sit in that kiddie pool the rest of the day. The, the thing that I have, I have truly learned, and if you've been a parent, I know you've struggled. And some people have had great loss and great heartache and great struggle. And you've had children that are defiant at times. And maybe you have wayward children right now. I don't know. But you have to be able to look back and remember the goodness of God to give you a child or children. And to say, God, oh, my goodness. I think every day there's nothing greater that I can do than to love my wife like Christ loves the church and to raise my daughter and my future linebacker, crossing my fingers, Brian Erlocker II. He's going to have to have a little bit bigger frame than me. <laughs> Hopefully he's got some weird genetics somehow. That um, I don't know. By the, you know, if, if God could do it to Mary through the Holy Spirit, he could put a little Holy Spirit Samson strength in my, and we don't even know if it's a boy yet. I'm, I'm getting way ahead of myself. So moving on to the, to the next passage, I want to get to where Adam and Eve went wrong and where I think we go wrong. It's Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit the tr um, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, for the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Every single scenario I want to share with you today is based around the same idea. When you want to make yourself like God or become your own God, you totally lose sight of everyone else, including your family, and you destroy your future. When you want to become like God in any way, shape, or form, you could be a person that you just think you're so hot that you're going to cheat on your spouse. You could be a person that just thinks you're so good in business that all you're going to do is chase money. You could be the person that, I don't know, maybe you worship your body in the gym. Or maybe you dwell about the lack of the self-esteem and the lack of the body, and you sit and look in the mirror, and you're depressed, and, and you, you dwell on that, and that, that is a form of self-worship. 
It's not just the people that are succeeding that fall into the trap of worshiping themselves. It's the people that are wanting to kill themselves that are worshiping themselves. Because if it wasn't a selfish thing, you would think about all the lives you are impacting by making that choice. And I'm not condemning the people that have thought of suicide, tried to commit suicide, or have committed suicide. Because I think God loves you even in the midst of your confusion. He does. But we oftentimes fall into, and I wrote this down, the greatest seduction to mankind is the basic idea that we can be our own gods. That we can make every decision just relying on our own intuition. We are, we are faulty. We are broken. Our hearts are dark a lot of the times. You know, the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. Who could know it? I mean, a lot of times we don't even understand what our hearts are doing to us and where they're leading us. I've heard so many times of, like, people helping in, in college group or youth group or even other members in college group or youth group. And, you know, you hear these stories of, you know, well, so-and-so's trying to decide whether she should continue dating him or whatever. And, and one of the people that's trying to give a wise advice says, well, follow your heart and God will lead you. What? That is so anti-biblical, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Follow God and he will guide and change your heart. And he'll give you the desires of your heart because they're his desires because you delighted yourself in him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. It is crazy how often we think we can control. We think we can just grab hold and we can control our destiny. And then God allows things and it's not like he's vindictive. He just allows things to remind us you're not in control. I am sovereign. And I love you. You know, if you look at God's people throughout Scripture, they lived a nomadic life. The life of Nimrod, the life of these people that wanted to build the tower and they wanted to make themselves great, they, they lived an anti-nomadic life. And I, I look at it, and I, I actually look at our situation, you know, where we're, I think, all U.S. citizens in this room, probably. And we sit back and complain about the dumbest stuff. And, and I'm thinking, well, wh what does it look like for us to be nomadic? I, I don't know. Where, am I supposed to move to Alaska where no one lives? I think we know something that's very true, that God is working his end plan because, you know what, he said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. There are not very many regions except for the Arctic and the Antarctic and some of Alaska and, you know, some other areas that are just treacherous. There are not very many areas to fill. The plan has been carried out. And if you look like, I want to I say this, if I don't get anything across, I, I was thinking about this. A lot of times I agree I want to fight against things that are wicked and evil. My heart is broken over issues like abortion. I mean, it makes me cry. It makes me look at my child and think that is, that is and, and you can leave offended if you want, but that is one of the most wicked things I could ever even fathom. I always think to myself, what about the person that's fighting for abortion? What if your mom had an abortion? You would, it's, it, the basic logic it takes to debunk the argument of pro-choice is, is so simple. You don't even need a high IQ. You don't need to be a scholar. You just need to basically think, God gave me life. I'm blessed. So why would I take someone else's life? And like Pastor said with the Family Research Council, they, they're saying, well, if we want to fight as Christians against abortion, we need to be prepared to pick up the torch and take care of all these children because our foster systems are broken. My wife interned in the foster care at uh, Bethany Christian Services, and I'm not, I'm not saying anything bad about Bethany, I'm just saying foster service in general, foster care in general is so broken. It's broken, and you want to know, and this, this applies to so many things in the Christian life. We like to complain and say this sucks, and look at what they're doing, and it, how about we stop pointing fingers and we start being the solution? How? Adopt a child, right? Right, Andrew? Right, uh, Brianna, right? Adopt a child. Why not? 
I wouldn't have my wife if PG and Becky didn't adopt Lexi, right? And then I wouldn't have my daughter, Sayla. I have a niece and a nephew, and they're both biracial, and I think they are so precious to our family, we cannot imagine not having them there. It changes your worldview. It changes your perspective, you know? You come on into the Skipper's Dutch family, you know, added a little diversity. We see the world differently, right? It helps you. It helps you grow and change and realize this is how God intended it. That we would pick up the children that are orphans off the street and we'd say, I'll take you because if nobody wants you, you need to understand that God does love you. And since I have the love of God, I'm going to love you. I'm going to raise you. Amen. Why don't we have people, okay, there are people that meet at the fences, and I will say, I, I'm not doing this, but I honestly believe that this is part of my calling for life, is to actually go to the abortion clinics and not just hold up signs of dismembered babies and saying, you're going to hell, because that's not the right approach. It's absolutely not. Is that a reality of what the babies look like? Yes, and it's vile, and it's horrible. But what these women need is for people to say, we want to help you, we love you, God loves you. How can we help? We'll help you in any way. There need to be people that are Christian, millionaires, billionaires that are actually going to say, I want to have programs where women can have their baby with financial assistance, and there can be good families that are ready to come in and help and adopt or foster that child and raise them to understand their love and people that will counsel the mom and help her to make a decision if she wants to actually raise that child or give the child up for adoption. And I know you say, well, that's overwhelming. But you know what? There are a lot of things that God called people in the Bible to do that seemed absolutely overwhelming, but they happen. Right? You go and you... Moses, you lead the Israelites, and he gets to the Red Sea, and he's like, oh, my gosh, okay, God, you, you've pulled through on some other things, but I don't know how this is going to work. And he says, oh, you just trust me. The people were grumbling behind him, and he splits the Red Sea, and they cross, and it totally vanquishes the entire Egyptian army. Gone. Now, maybe you think that's just some mytholo- uh, mythological thing. That's, uh, that's just some story. No, it's not. It's real. It's reality. It happened. You know, people want to say stuff like that, like that's just a myth or that's just some tale, some fairy tale. And I think there is so much evidence of everything that happened in Scripture. You can just shut your pie hole. Yeah. Because it's real. There are things that people say happen, and I'm like, whatever I was, I was painting at a house this week, and they were watching some, I don't think it was a history channel, some other channel, but they were studying the Egyptian, blah, 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 and I'm just going, why are they so, like, yeah, it's cool, but why are, they're just so, you ever notice how obsessed people are with the Egyptian, you know, sarcophaguses and the, the tombs and the, all the wealth that's in there and the, the, the people that raided the tombs and the, the big pyramids and all this stuff, <clears throat> and every time they're like, Expert scientists believe that blah, 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 after years of study. And I'm like, people spend so much time on that. And I'm thinking, I honestly, yeah, it's kind of cool. But after about 10 minutes, I'm like, I could care less about King Tut. Seriously, somebody stole his tomb? Who cares? Man, you guys wasted a lot of human resource. There are bodies of people that were just worked to death in the Egyptian kingdom. And I think they wanted a name for themselves and they literally squandered so many human lives that could have, could have done great things and could have been loved. I think about all the atrocities that have happened in the world. And, and I want to, I got to keep moving here, but um, I think about all the atrocities that have happened and what Hitler has done and what Stalin has done and and what's happened in China in history and what's happened all over the world, you know, it's happened in Burma and Iraq and Iran and Africa and just genocide and all of this tragedy. And many people who don't believe in God always point to that and say, well, how could God be a loving God? And it may sound weird, but I I was studying last night, and I just wrote this down to, to remind myself, tragedy is redirection for greater blessing. It is. And I, I was thinking about this because, obviously, we, we as a staff, 
um, went through some struggles, and I, I, can, I can see things more clearly all the time. God speaks to you and says, that's why that happened. I, you weren't ready to know that truth. You know, I think about how churches divide and split, and there's problems in America, and people can't get along, and there's all these factions, and people get in fights, and they throw pastors out, and they do stuff. And I'm not saying all of that is like God planned that out, and he wanted that to happen, but I will say that God let it happen for a greater purpose. God lets it happen for a greater purpose. Those who have gone through the ringer come out more absorptive. Yeah. You ever have one of those nasty sponges on your sink? You know, you've been, this is more like in my bachelor days, because now I'm like, that thing stinks. Like, if it smells even one ounce, we're throwing it out. Sponges are cheap. Go buy a new one. I want my dishes smelling like rotten old sweaty feet or something, you know? Like, people come over, they're like, these potatoes are a little weird, you know? Like, gross. It's got like mold building up in your sponge. You wonder why you're getting sick. I mean, some people live that way, but I, you know, back in the bachelor days, you got that old sponge and you're like, well, I think it's still good, you know. My cousin lived with me and he'd always stack the dishes up and I'd get all pissed off and just be like, what, you hardly pay me rent. You sit home all day. You know, you ever have those moments? You're like, come on. You drink a glass of milk, rinse it out. There's a white film on the glass. Like there's, you ever have those pet peeves? You're like, it's like a rule. My parents taught me that when I was like three. Wash your milk glass out. Now my wife's going to be like, he doesn't always wash his glasses out. <laughs> That's what I get for going off the script. And keep it up here. No. But uh, many times we don't realize that we need to go through the ringer to get the mold out of our systems. We need to go through the ringer to get the old dirty water and the, and the grease from the frying pan that you just made the bacon, you know, and, and, and it's like God wants to wring it out and make you clean so that you can absorb what he wants to put into your life. I, I want you to look with me just a moment at Job 42, 12 through 17. Um, if you can jump there, I kind of jumped ahead, but. Or I can look it up in my Bible. You got it? No? Okay. I got it. okay. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter Jemima. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I'm reading this. I'm like, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So he named the first daughter Aunt Jemima, and she tastes like syrup. And, wow, yeah, and, and uh, the name of the second, Keziah, and the name of the third, uh, Karin Apuch, I don't know how to say that, <laughs> anyways, and in all the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their fathers gave them an inheritance among their brothers, there you go, women's U.S. soccer team, equal pay, all right, Job had it right a long time ago. This guy knew what was coming. And uh, so, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his um, son's sons four generations. And Job died an old man full of days. Now, you, you got to stop a minute and you got to say, okay, some bad things have happened. And maybe my health isn't great. And maybe I've lost a loved one in recent history or even in distant, and it still plagues you. But you need, you need to stop. And, you know, I was thinking about Adam and Eve and how they left. They got booted from the garden, and I will actually say this. I was studying, I'm thinking, that was blessing. What? What did, did I asked myself this question. Did God have it just planned out from the beginning? Like, yeah, you're going to sin, idiots, and then I'm going to boot you out and put a flaming sword and be like, ha-ha. No. Did it well? He let it happen. You know, I can't answer that question. I hate it when we're like, I know the answer. Sometimes you don't know the answer. Was it a part of God's plan? Well, God is omniscient. It had to be a part. Was he cynical about it? Like, I just was? No. 
But he allowed it to happen for a purpose. And that is so hard to take. You just had a bad breakup or you just got diagnosed with an illness or cancer or whatever it may be. You, you have a child that is just fighting you nonstop, no matter what age. They're just the rebellious one. That was me, so you have hope. Because sometimes I'm still a jerk. Sometimes I'm still too outspoken. Sometimes whatever, but I, I do love my parents, and I love my parents, my second set of parents, and I do respect them. And I do want to support them, and I do want to love them. And you know what? There was a time where all I wanted to do was cuss at my dad. There was a time where all I wanted to do was, I didn't cuss that much at my mom, but sometimes I did. And I regret those times, but you know what? God took me out of that rebellion. He took me out of that state of me-centric nonsense, and he said, you have a different purpose. And he, he used 27 days in a cold jail cell to get a hold of me. And, and, you know, tragedy seems like the end of the world. And I think if I didn't have that jail cell and I didn't lose my license for two years and have to be driven around by my mom, oh, my gosh. And I didn't have a curfew. And, I, you know, I couldn't leave until 6 in the morning to go to work. And I had to be home at 8 o'clock at night. And my ISP probation officer would come and she'd ring the little doorbell. And I had a light and a siren on it in my basement. And every time I'd wake up and think, like, code red, you know, the, the Germans are coming to kill all the Dutch people or something like I don't know, and I'd run upstairs, and, it, and she was so rude about it. I'd be like, uh, how are you doing, trying to be nice? And she just treated me like a cold convict killer. Just blow into the breathalyzer, you idiot. All those times of, of thinking, this sucks, this is tragedy, this is hard, this is, this is just, this Kool-Aid and this stinking, oh, in the Ottawa County Jail. Come on, something different than green Kool-Aid, please. Anybody had the green Kool-Aid at the Ottawa County Jail? Please, God, save me from the bologna sandwiches and the green Kool-Aid. And I sounded like an Israelite saying, we want to go back to the leeks and onions. You know, but God said, this is for your good. This is a blessing. This is a tragedy that's going to turn into a blessing. Because you're going to get out of this place and you're going to realize that you've been taking a lot of things and a lot of people for granted. And you've been taking the access that I've given you to me for granted because I'm here. Because in, in jail, I opened the Bible and he started speaking to me. And I thought, oh my goodness, I didn't. I was about to say, you're not real because my life sucks so bad. There's no way you care about me. And then he said, I got you. You needed to go through this much heartbreak and this much pain, and you needed to damage this many relationships so you can go back after you've been saved by my grace, and you can go back graciously and humbly, and, and, and you could say, I want to restore this relationship because I was a jerk. So you can understand the reconciliation that I want for all mankind. God has such a purpose for every person in this room. But we get so distracted in building our kingdoms, our towers, our, our whatever, our finances, our hobbies, our, our whatever it may be. We lose focus. We lose focus. The people who've lost so much can better appreciate the small and simple gifts from God. Water is most refreshing when you're in the desert. When you're dehydrated, when you're on the verge of death and you just need, you just need just, you know, you ever have it where, you know, like my nieces and nephews, I'll go up to my parents' cottage and be like, Mom, I want pop. Mom, can I have another ice cream cone? Mom, can we do this? Mom, 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 mom. It's no wonder mom's just like, yeah, you know, like I don't blame you. I used to wonder why my mom was so loud, like settle down, mom, you know, like. I knew something was wrong when all of a sudden I'd be playing outside and I had committed some crime earlier in the week and she, would, she wouldn't she would even be outside the house, you know. I could be like, and this is an exaggeration, but I feel like I could be riding my dirt bike like a half a mile away out in the back field, you know, like by the turkey coops even they, they told me not to because it riles them up. I'm like, whatever, forget you. And, and I swear my mom could be, Nick! and I'd be like, you ever wonder, you know, I think my daughter has a little bit of that, just like skippers, like just you can make a lot of volume real quick. It doesn't she? Because she'll just, she'll, like I'll come home and I'll pick her up for a second and, oh, my gosh, she's so excited because daddy's home, right? 
and and she'd just be, you know, all excited. And I'm like, I gotta quick use the bathroom, you know. And I'll set her down, and she just, ah, ah, like she just starts. She can't talk. She can't be like, Dad, come back here. She just makes loud noises. Like that's not fair. Get back over here. I think God wants to, as He wanted to speak to Adam and Eve, and He wanted to speak to the people building the Tower of Babel, and and He wanted to speak to me in jail, and and He wanted to speak to even people that you think were just banished and and dis, and and thrown aside. Reality is, God really never actually threw anyone aside. He wanted to speak to Cain after he killed his brother. He wanted to speak to Esau after he sold his birthright. He wanted to speak to Judas. You know, in my mind, Judas and Peter were on the same plane until Judas just decided I screwed up too bad and killed himself. They both blew it horribly. Obviously, Judas committed a, 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 a grievous sin against Jesus in turning him in, but even at that, that tragedy led to blessing. Right? So you may be the Judas in the room, and you may have betrayed people or betrayed God or turned your back on him or cursed him out. And you think it's just too late and I'm gone and I can't be used of him and he doesn't love me. That's not true. God's love goes beyond that. It bridges over the the widest rivers. It, It goes over the deepest valleys. God cherishes you. You're still alive. He must love you. Um, Genesis. Nine, and I'm going to wrap this up soon, I promise. Probably like at least within the next hour. You ever watch a T.D. Jakes message and you're like, holy cow. Like, I mean, yeah, he's an amazing preacher. He's gifted and anointed by God. But sometimes you look at the time and you're like, an hour and 57 minutes? <laughs> i got to go mow my lawn. <laughs> Sorry, Bishop. Uh, Genesis 9, you have it on the screen, what am I doing? Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. There we go again. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just, yeah, all the deer hunters, yeah! Just as I gave you the green plants... I now give you everything, but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed, for in the image of God, as God made mankind. Right? As for you, be fr- and he says it again. As for you, be fruitful, increase in number, multiply on the earth, and increase upon it. I want to say that, and this is in closing, I want to say that we have to be stewards of what God's called us to, and we have to trust God enough to step out onto the waters and say, I am going to mature by my own choice. And what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you get credit for it because a lot of times it just means God is nudging you into maturing, right? I remember a time when Niles wasn't married and Ryan wasn't married and Ed wasn't married and, you know, I remember a time when I thought, man, Ed is just so irresponsible and he's such a dink, you know? Yeah, I remember thinking, like, I don't know about him when I first met him. And I could say that he's one of the best friends in my life. You know, and I see Niles is married, right? And not only that, right? There's, there's another, there's another Niles. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> yeah. It's, we'll see, because that, when I, when we went to Mexico, Niles would wake up at four in the morning, I swear. Ryan, you, can you attest to this? And we, we were rooming with Niles, and I was like, God. I was like, halfway, we need to switch, and I need a room with the other guys on the trip. Because he'd wake up at like 5 a.m. like, yeah, God is on the move, on the move. And I would be like, right now, God is not on the move. I am a pastor, and I know. The Spirit told me he's not. 
God wants you to sleep. Yeah. I want to close, maybe a somber note, but I want to close with uh, Jeremiah 7.30-31. Bear with me a couple minutes here. The people of Judah have done evil in my eyes, declares the Lord. They have set up their detestable idols in the house. I'm sorry, it's like I need glasses. In the house that bears my name and have defiled it. They have built the high places a Topheth in the valley of Ben-Hanum. Man. The moral of the story. I do need glasses. But the moral of the story, okay, and, and this is obviously, this isn't really meant to be funny because there are so many places in the Old Testament, and I think there is really nothing new under the sun because there's so many places in the Old Testament, whereas in this passage and also in Deuteronomy and other passages where the Israelites, who are supposed to be God's devout followers and, and lovers, offered their children in the fire to Molech, to Dagon, to Baal, to, and they, they would offer their children as they prayed for fertility for the crops. Like, and we think that's far-fetched. No, it's not. Because we don't have a fire where we throw our children, but we do have procedures to kill our children in the womb. And some people want to make it legal in states where even if the child is born and it was a failed botched abortion, you can sit there and discuss with your doctor, well, maybe we can still kill the child, right? Because that's what we were going to do, and they're, they're not really a human. What are you talking about? Why do I say tragedy is a blessing? Tragedy is most likely going to fall on America. Just be prepared. Yes, fight for righteousness. Fight against it. That's good. But don't think that if you fight for it and it fails that you failed, it might be a part of God's purpose to bring greater blessing and to further define the lives of true believers so that they can take up the torch and do greater things for his kingdom. I had... I was reading a book that I, I've read many times from, I had this from Bible College, it's called Turning Points, and it talks about the first turning point of Christianity is right after the, the church was established and they had so many house churches of, of, of Christians, you know, new people of what they called the way. And the, one of the greatest turning points was this. They said that Christianity in some ways was still intrinsically connected to Judaism and they kind of felt comforted by that. And they had different, um, social benefits from being connected to Judaism because Judaism had existed for so long. But what happened was God allowed for the Romans to come in in A.D. 70 and destroy Jerusalem and the temple. Destroy everything. And everyone thought as Christians scattered and, and, and Jews scattered um, for that were devout in Judaism and they just left and everybody thought it's over. And many times you think it's over because God scattered all the people, and that, that's the beginning of what God wants to do. It's called diaspora. It's what he did with his tribes. He spread them all over the earth. Jews are everywhere, right? Christians are everywhere. And when you think God is pushing you out of something comfortable, and it, it, you know, or maybe you think it's, this is tragedy, this is, I'm losing my comfort, and you need to know that God's probably behind it. He's probably behind saying, no more comfort. I want you to go now and do something great. I want you to go and evangelize to that person that you have known for years is not saved, but you don't have the guts. Go do it. It's my command. If you love them, you will share what I've given you. He's moving you to adopt a child. You know, you can adopt a child up to what? What age? 55, you can adopt a child. Some of you are in your early 50s, and you know what? You should adopt a child. Oh, my goodness. And the Sarai in the crowd is laughing. I can't have a child. You can adopt a child. You can adopt a child. You could save a child's life. Let's, this is where the rubber meets the road. Let's stop talking about these things and make them happen. Right? You know, you got to be, uh, Lexi has to be 30 before we can adopt 
a child from China. And I don't, you know, we would like to have, we would like to adopt in sequence of age because that's what's recommended and that's, you know, and some people don't do that. I'm not saying that's what you have to do. That's just our preference. But we would like to adopt children and we are going, as long as we are able, we're going to adopt a child. Why can't you? Let's pray. God, I, I pray that you'll go with us as we leave and help us to keep our minds fixed on you. Everything that is holy, God, and good from you. And that we would be moved. You know, maybe it's not adopting a child. Maybe it's something else. We would be moved to go make amends with people we've hurt. To go witness with people we know are lost. To, to go and share the gospel with the world. To, to, and please listen. To, to maybe, you know, you think, well, it's those guys go on that mission trip or those people, teenagers go on that mission trip or those ladies go, and that's not for me. What? Why isn't it for you? Go. Experience the world. Fill the earth with the gospel of Jesus. Maybe you can't adopt children. You can't have children. Maybe you're too old. Fill the earth with the love and the gospel of Jesus so that people can be saved for his kingdom. And people can know his love like you know his love. Stop bottling it in. Spread the gospel. Pour it out. God, we love you. I pray that you would lead us. I pray that you would guide us. I pray your anointing over us, God. Help us to multiply in whatever way you want us to on this earth because we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have eternity living inside of us. It's amazing, God. Thank you. And there may be somebody in this room that does not have the Spirit of God living inside of them because you've never accepted Christ and you don't know whether you're going to go to heaven to be with him and you're not sure whether you have a personal relationship with Jesus. And if that's you today, there is no shame There's only great hope and anticipation. If you raise your hand and say, I'm not sure I know Jesus, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, that is the greatest decision you can make in your life. I made that decision March 30, 2008, at like 1130 at night. And I can say my life has tremendously changed, and it keeps on changing, and I keep going back, and I find that the well's not dry. God is still there. He's still good. He's following after me. He loves me. He is, he is giving me hope and peace and joy. Is there anybody in here who says, I don't know Christ. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. I am not sure that I'm born again. Just slip up your hand. Okay. God, I, I pray your blessing on us today as we go into this world. I pray that we bring light and hope wherever we go. We love you, God. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy and your your abounding love. Praise you, Jesus. Amen.